Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Epic. So glad you're here. Whether you're joining us here in person, you're joining us online, we're just so grateful that you've chosen to be with us today as we continue on in our series in a study of the book of Philippians. So before we get into that, I'm going to prep you for something where I'm going to need your help in just a few minutes. Okay, so in just a few minutes, we're going to have a spot in our service where you are going to be encouraged to participate out loud. Okay, so not everybody, but a few people to participate out loud, and I'll coach you up when we get there to that spot, okay? So if you are new to us or new to the book of Philippians, it's actually a letter in the New Testament part of the Bible written by the Apostle Paul to a church that he started in the northern part of Greece in the ancient city of Philippi. He wrote this letter about 61 AD after he got arrested for starting other churches in other parts of the world. And the church of Philippi was a great encouragement to him. They sent money, they sent support to him, and he wrote a letter of thanks to them and a letter of encouragement to help them to continue to grow in their faith. So as we read this, like I say every week in this series, let's pretend that we are the church of Philippi. Okay, so if we can imagine being the only church in the southeastern part of the United States, that would be kind of the context for the church of Philippi. So they would be excited to get a letter from Paul and learn about how to grow their faith in Christ. And so let's just pretend that we are that church. And here's some things that we've been learning so far in this series. So first thing is this. We learned that God is the one who started the good work within us, and he is the one who will finish that work. And the encouragement for me that comes from that is on those days when I'm not behaving like Jesus and I'm not becoming more like him the way that I should, I can remind myself that God started a good work in me and God's going to be the one that finishes that work. Does anybody have a day where you're like, I'm not like Jesus today? Anybody? Okay, great. Thank you for your honesty. The rest of you are lying in church and that's really not good. You need to be careful doing that. So we all struggle with that. And on those days, we don't need to give up on our faith. We don't need to distance ourselves from God. We need to remind ourselves, God started a good work. God's going to finish that work because God doesn't have any unfinished projects. He finishes everything he starts. Next thing we learned. This is kind of the biggest thing that we're learning and relearning as we walk through this series. It's this. Our current circumstances aren't as important as our response to those circumstances. And Paul said the reason why that's so important is because when we learn to respond like Christ, then other people may put their faith in Christ and somebody might grow stronger in their faith in Christ. So some great things happen when we respond correctly when we respond like Jesus would in a difficult situation. Now, here's what I love as a pastor. I love when somebody in our church family reminds me of a truth that I am teaching. So uh, this past week, I was kind of complaining about a circumstance that I am frustrated with. And a loving church member said, you know, Trent, our current circumstances are not as important as our response to those circumstances. And I'm like, yes, you're right. 
you are so right, and I need to learn to apply that to my life as well. So that's a big thing that we've been learning together. And the next thing is this. We are learning that for us to live for God, we have to learn to live with God. So if we're really, as Christ followers, going to live for him, we have to learn to live with him every moment of every day. We have to live as if God is with us, helping us face every challenge, every temptation, every difficulty, everything that stresses us out. We have to live as if God is right there because that's the reality of scripture. Romans 8:11 says the spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. So if you're a Christ follower, the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. Scripture also teaches that Jesus takes up residence inside of your heart as well. So we have God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit always available to us to be a resource in any moment that we need them. We have to learn to tap into those resources, turn to them in any moment of any day. If we're going to live for God, we've got to learn to live with God. And then this is what we learned last week. Paul reminded us that if you're a Christ follower, you're a citizen of heaven. This isn't your home. This isn't our home if you're a Christ follower. We're just here on mission. And he said, here's your mission. Here's what you need to understand, that your Christian responsibilities are more important than your American rights. Now, if you're new with us and you're just hearing that for the first time, and if you're very patriotic like I am, you might think that's treasonous. Like, are you kidding me? You're saying there's anything that's more important than my American rights? And the apostle Paul said to the church of Philippi, there's something more important than your Roman rights. It's your Christian responsibilities. And there are moments that American Christians hold up the American flag, which I am proud to hold up and support. And sometimes we hold that higher than our Christian flag and our Christian responsibilities. So we need to learn to balance those things well. Not just balance them. Paul told us last week, we need to learn to leverage our American rights to fulfill our Christian responsibilities. So Paul didn't say throw your rights away. He said, learn to leverage them to fulfill what's more important, your Christian responsibilities. So we learned that last week. If uh, you want to go back and listen to that, if you're new, didn't hear that, go to our website, our YouTube channel, our Facebook page, our iTunes account, and you can catch up on all that stuff. Now, today we're going into chapter two, and in chapter two, at the beginning of that, Paul asks four powerful questions. So he asks this, he says, is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Is there any comfort from his love? Is there any fellowship together in the spirit? And are your hearts tender and compassionate? So those are some, some big questions that I think the church of Philippi would have wrestled through. So here's what I think they would have done. When they first got the letter, they would have read it in a church context. They would have told everybody, hey, come on over. We're going to read this letter from Paul. So all the church would have gotten together. They would have read that letter from start to finish. And then over the next few weeks, over the next few months, who knows, over the next few years, they would have reread sections of that letter and talked about how they could apply it. So that's what I would like us to do today. I would like us to answer these four questions. And this is where I need your participation out loud. And I've shifted them from a question to a statement. So the first three will be a statement. And then the last one, we'll hold that on a separate slide. And that'll be an actual question. But I would love to hear some of your answers to these questions. Again, we're putting ourselves in the context of the Church of Philippi. And we're gathered together talking about how this applies to us. 
So if no one participates in answers, it will be awkward. If someone starts talking and talks for 20 minutes, it will be awkward. So um, participate, a few sentences would be great. Okay, we ready for this? Three people are ready. Great, awesome. I expect the high things out of you guys. Okay, so first statement is this. Describe the encouragement you get from belonging to Christ. So uh, what encouragement do you get from being a part of God's family? Wisdom. You get wisdom out of it? You get wisdom from being a part of God's family. I love that. I love it. I love it. And I love your passion. Maybe you know, if we had a third service, I'd ask you to come up and preach the third one. That would be awesome. That was great. So yes, yeah, so that's actually something that we learned in this series. This life isn't all. There is. There's more. There's way more. Okay, so question two. Describe how God's love comforts you. It gives you peace. Somebody else said peace. That's great. You guys can go to lunch together. You're thinking alike. Yeah. Yeah. Great. So there's, there's peace and comfort that can be provided in the midst of chaos in our, our lives. Great. Last question, or third question. Describe how you are experiencing fellowship with other Christians. It's kind of a strange word we don't use a whole lot, um, but it kind of means community and stronger relationships. So how are you experiencing community with other Christians right now? Yes, you could come to church. We're not doing it online today. Well, we are, but we're here as well. Just not other Christian helping others, no matter who they are. So just helping others, no matter who they are. Yep. So learning to serve others. We're going to talk about that a little bit more today as well. So yeah, we should experience. You think about uh, over the past four months, we haven't been able to be together in this context. And so being together like this, there is nothing like standing face to face with people, talking to people, you know, we, you know, there's COVID protocol, you're not supposed to touch and all that kind of stuff, but you know, air hugs and all that stuff, like being closer, like in each other's presence, that is amazing. And uh, I'm grateful that we can experience that uh, together in this context. Okay. So the next question um, is going to be a question and don't answer it out loud uh, because it's kind of like answering our, are you humble? And if you say yes, you are not. And so depending on how you answer this is you know, kind of weird. So is your heart tender and compassionate? So let that soak in for a little bit. Is your heart tender and compassionate to other people around you that might be challenging for you to love and yet whom Jesus died for? Is there any group of people, is there any person in your life where you go, mm, I just don't like you. Is your heart tender and compassionate towards them? It should be. So Paul says, if you can answer kind of yes to those four questions, then verse two continues and he says, then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another and working together with one mind and purpose. Think about where you see that 
applying in our world today? Where do you see people loving one another with one mind and one purpose? Sadly, we don't see that on social media very often. We don't see that in politics anymore. And sadly, it's hard to see it in churches sometimes. And yet that's how we're supposed to be interacting with each other in that context. So Paul um, says, and, and God knew that we would struggle with this. So through Paul, God tells us how to apply these verses. In verse three, he says this. He says, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. Can you imagine how different our world would be if we applied that? It would be wonderful. It'd be an amazing place to live. So Paul says, if you're a Christ follower, that's how you should be living. Now, let me remind you who Paul was talking to. So he was writing this letter to the church in Philippi. And let's remember what this church is made up of. So when Paul and Silas got to Philippi, they started looking for people that they could tell about Jesus. And the first person they met was a woman named Lydia. Lydia was a prominent business owner in that community. And her heart was open to what they had to say. So she put her faith and trust in Jesus after they explained that to her. And then so did her household, which would have meant her family and could have meant all of her employees. We don't know how big her business was, but she was a prominent business leader in Philippi. So we have this business leader that was part of this church. Then we also have the jailer that we learned about last week. So last week, Paul, we learned that Paul and Silas were put in prison in Philippi and in prison, they had a worship service and they were able to lead the jailer and his entire family to Jesus. So the jailer and his family were a part of this church. Then we have the young slave girl that we learned about last week who was demon possessed and Paul freed her from that by casting that demon out. And we don't know this in scripture, but I'm pretty sure she was a part of that church. I think if somebody came along and freed you from a demon, would you want to hang out with them more? I'm thinking, yeah. So I want what you have. And so I think she was probably a part of that as well as uh, we could have had other prisoners that were a part of this church as well. So we've got this prison full of prisoners and they're all hearing Paul tell this jailer how to meet Jesus and they're blown away by this story. So we could have them a part of this as well. So get what we have in this church. We've got a business leader, a jailer, their families, a slave girl who is demon possessed and some prisoners. So imagine if you are new to Philippi. Okay, so you just moved to Philippi. You're looking for a church home. You've heard that there's a church here. Like many people moved to Flagler County. They're looking for a new start, a new life, and they're looking for a church home. Imagine if you and I walked into the church of Philippi together and looked around. What would we see? We'd see an odd group of people. And we would wonder, what do these people have in common with each other? The answer is nothing except the great common denominator that brings every group together that has any differences, and that's faith in Jesus Christ. That's what they had together. That's what brought them together. And that's what all of our churches today should look like. 
people from all walks of life coming together to love and serve each other because of what Jesus has done for us. That's what we want to see happen here at Epic. Uh, we want people from all walks of life coming together. People that walk in and, we, and would say like, what are you guys doing together? You're like, you don't look like you would like hang out together. Like, yeah, you know, the great common denominator that brings us together is Jesus. He brings us together. So we celebrate our differences and we unite together under the one who brings us together. So we want to create that here. And I hope that you'll help us create that as well. Now, if you haven't found anything so far in our message that you need to apply to your life, uh, buckle up because we're going into verse five. So in verse five, Paul says this. He says, you must have. He doesn't say it would be great if at some point in your life you develop this. He didn't say, you know, like on Sundays, it'd be awesome if you displayed this. He said, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. So take a moment and think, do you have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had? And while you're pondering, let me answer it for you. No, you don't. <laughs> Just like I don't. And, and maybe you do occasionally, and maybe I do occasionally. But we all need to learn to have Christ's attitude on a regular, daily, moment-by-moment -moment basis. But I'll have to admit that I have an attitude problem. Anybody else have an attitude problem? Great. Welcome to our recovery class today. Okay? I will lead and give you an example of my attitude problem that just happened a few weeks ago. There are other examples, and my wife is around here somewhere, and she can give you other examples that are probably more current, um, but let me give you one that happened a few weeks ago. So a few weeks ago, um, my wife and I were at the beach with uh, three of our kids. We had our grandson there. We were having a great time together uh, until uh, we engaged a conversation about sunscreen. So I had told my wife earlier that one of the sunscreen bottles that we had was expired, Anybody know that sunscreen can get expired? Well, I saw an expiration date on our sunscreen and told my wife that our sunscreen was expired. So she took it and looked for it. As she was looking, she looked over the bottle everywhere that she could, and she said, I don't see an expiration date. So being the loving, super spiritual husband, father, grandfather, you know, patriarch of our family, I took it from her and said, let me have it. I'll show it to you and prove it. It's a wonderful moment, you know, with my kids looking at me like, dad, you're a jerk. Like, what's wrong with you? It's just sunscreen. So somehow between me seeing an expiration date uh, and Tammy looking for an expiration date, God supernaturally moved it, removed it from the bottle. I, I don't know how it happened, but he did it. He took it away. It wasn't there. So I got this bottle back and I'm looking for their expiration date. I know I saw the expiration date. Where is it? Where, I'm looking all over this and I'm probably looking for like 10 minutes because I want to justify my bad attitude. Let me prove it to you. Well, it wasn't there. Did I see something wrong? Did God take it away? I don't know. The problem wasn't with the sunscreen. The problem was with me and my attitude. It was wrong in that moment. So I don't know if you have moments like that, but I have far too many moments like that 
We need to have Christ's attitude. And I want you to listen to what Christ did with his attitude. In verse six, it says this. It says, though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Let that sink in. Compare it to us. Okay, though he was God, is God, he didn't cling to his power, his position, his possessions, his rights. He didn't cling to those things. We do. We cling to anything that makes us feel important. We cling to power. We cling to position. We cling to possessions. But Jesus didn't do that. Verse 7 says, instead, instead of doing that, instead of clinging to those things, Jesus gave up his divine privileges. Some translations say that he made himself nothing. Now, the Greek word that's used there, that's translated, he made himself nothing or gave up his divine privileges, is the word kenosis. And the word kenosis means to empty. So Jesus emptied himself. But what does that mean? There's some wrong perceptions out there of what kenosis means. There are some people that think that it means that Jesus left his deity in heaven, and when he became a human, he was 100% human and not 100% God. That's not what kenosis means. Some people think it means that Jesus didn't know he was God, that he gave up the conscious right to know that he was God when he became a human. And, and they would say, when people asked him, are you uh, God? He would say, I don't, I, don't, I don't really know. But we don't see evidence of that in scripture. Some people think that he gave up the use of his divine power. But again, if you search the gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, you see Jesus using his divine power on a regular basis. So what does it mean for Jesus to empty himself? I want you to listen to how Dr. Tony Evans answers this. This is an amazing explanation. And you got to just really listen to let it absorb to understand what it really means. So he says this. He said, did Jesus empty himself of his deity and become merely a man? No. The focus of his self-emptying is not heaven, but earth. That is what Christ emptied himself into. He didn't empty out God and then pour in man. Rather, he emptied all of God into man. In other words, he didn't stop being God. He didn't say, Deity, I'm going to leave you here in heaven, and I'm going to go down to become humanity. What Jesus did was take all of his deity and pour it into humanity so that he became much more than mere man. He became the God-man. God poured into man. That's kenosis. Jesus poured all of who he was into human form. And then I want you to see what he did with his power. Verse seven continues. And it says, he took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. So what two words do you see that stand out to you in those two verses? Humble. Humble, humbled, concept of humility. So Jesus, being God, could have stepped onto planet Earth and said, I am God in the flesh, bow down and worship me and my power. He had every right to do that. 
But he didn't. He took the humble position of a slave, died a criminal's death on a cross. Why did he do that? Would you do that? Would I do that? I doubt I would. Not I doubt. I know I wouldn't. But Jesus did that. Why? Because he wanted to fix what we had broken. We had broken our relationship with God through sin. And Jesus said, I I love them so much. I got to go fix this. And so he showed up in person to fix it. He pursued us to fix the problem that we had created. He left the splendor of heaven, took the form of a humble servant to die in our place so that we could experience the splendor of heaven and be back in a right relationship with God. So when I understand what Jesus did with his power, it makes me wonder why would anybody reject Jesus? And yet many people still do today. And I want you to hear what God the Father did because of Christ's obedience. In verse 9, it says, Therefore God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That verse tells us that one day in the future, we will all bow a knee before Jesus as Lord. We will declare him Lord. But the question is, on that day, will he be your Lord or will he be your judge? If while on this earth, we don't bow our hearts We don't surrender our lives and say, Jesus, I recognize you are God in the flesh. You died so I can live. If we don't put our faith and trust in Jesus as our Lord and Savior, on that day when we bow our knee, he will be our judge. And he will give us what we've asked for all of our lives. If we reject Jesus our entire life and say, I don't want anything to do with you for all of eternity, God will grant us that. He will say, forever you will be apart from me. And that breaks God's heart. God doesn't want that. That's why Jesus came. That's why Jesus poured himself into humanity, into a human form. That's why Jesus took the form of man in a humble slave position and died for us so that we wouldn't have to experience separation from God forever. But if Jesus is your Lord, he will welcome you into heaven for all of eternity. That is going to be one amazing day. But if you haven't put your faith and trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you can do that. And I would encourage you, don't wait for tomorrow. You may not have tomorrow. If you sense God tugging your heart right now, whether you're here with us or you're watching online, if you sense God tugging, respond to that. It gets a lot easier when we reject Jesus. If we hear him knocking at the door of our heart and we say, nope, I'll get that tomorrow. Nope, I'll get that next week. Nope, I'll get that next month when I've, I've kind of lived the way that I want. And I'll wait till some point in my life when I recognize that maybe I need that. It gets easier and easier and easier to do that. So when Jesus is knocking, I encourage you to respond. And the way we open the door to him is by saying, I believe that you are God in the flesh. You died for me and I receive you as my Lord and my Savior. 
The cool thing about that is you don't have to be in a church for that to happen. You don't have to be talking to a pastor for that to happen. It can happen in a middle school cafeteria. It can happen at home. It can happen online. It can happen when you're driving to work or driving home. It can happen anywhere. But at some point in our life, each and every one of us need to bend our heart before him and say, you are God in the flesh. You died for me and I receive you as my Lord and Savior. If you have questions about that, ask me after the service. Stop by our care table. Somebody would love to talk to you about that. Reach out to us online. We'd love to engage a conversation with you to help you with that. Now we're going to go back to verse 5 and talk a little bit more about applying this to our lives. This is the real challenging part of what, what we're doing today. So Paul said we should have the same humble attitude that Jesus had, and we should humbly serve others the way that Jesus humbly served us. And Jesus modeled this for us. And one of the things that we learned that Jesus did was that he sacrificed for us. He sacrificed and left the splendor of heaven to come down and take the form of a humble servant and die in our place. So he sacrificed that on our behalf. So for us to learn to have Christ's attitude, we're going to have to learn to sacrifice some things. There may be some time we have to sacrifice. There may be some of our talents we have to sacrifice. Maybe some of our strongly held opinions that we have to sacrifice. Maybe there's some money we have to sacrifice. There can be any number of things we have to sacrifice for someone else's benefit. And then we take that sacrifice and we turn it into serving. So we've got to learn to serve other people. And I don't mean serving people who are easy to serve. You know, um, maybe you've got a, a sweet old uh, lady neighbor that you love, and she's so sweet, and she brings you cookies, and you're just like, man, I'm going to serve her today. Like, sure. Like, anybody can do that. Should you serve her? Absolutely. Romans 5.8 said, Christ served us when we were at our worst. He didn't wait for us to become our best to serve us. In the moment we were at our worst, he came to die for us. So we need to learn to serve somebody who's challenging for us. And I guarantee you, you've got somebody in your life right now that's really challenging for you to, to serve. If you don't have somebody, uh, I've got a few on loan that I will, I will loan out to you and talk to me after the service. I'll, I'll, I'll let you know who they are. But I am sure you've got somebody in your life it's really challenging for you to love. So I encourage you to think about that person for a second. Maybe it's somebody in your house right now that you just aren't getting along with. Maybe it's a neighbor that you can't stand. Maybe it's somebody on social media. There's somebody around you that's really hard for you to love. So here's our homework assignment this week. I want you to find a way to humbly serve that person this week. Find a way to humbly serve them in a significant, meaningful way. And I'm not saying just do the minimal job required, okay? So I'm not saying um, for you to not respond when they post something you know, on social media that makes you angry and you say, well, I just won't respond this week or this moment or this second. That's me humbly serving them? No, it's not. No, it's not. Find a way to humbly serve them. Paul said, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. 
You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. So humbly serving someone around you might look like celebrating somebody you're jealous of. Maybe there's somebody around you you're jealous of. Maybe it's a coworker. Maybe it's somebody on a sports team with you and somebody gets more recognition than you do and you do the same work, if not more work than they do, and somehow they get recognized and you find yourself talking trash about them behind their back or maybe talking trash to other people about them. And maybe for us in those moments, humbly serving them is a celebrating them, like genuinely celebrating them the way that we would want somebody to celebrate us. Maybe humbly serving someone means sitting and listening to their perspective of life right now. And I know that can be challenging because when we engage conversations with somebody who has a different perspective, we like to argue with them and explain why we're we're right and they're wrong. But maybe humbly serving them this week means you just listen. You ask questions. That doesn't mean you're going to agree with everything that they have to say. It just means that you're mature enough to hear somebody else's different perspective and still treat them with dignity and respect. Maybe humbly serving someone means sacrificing for an individual. Maybe there's something that they don't have and they need and maybe you have it. So maybe it would be a super meaningful thing for you to sacrifice it and give it to them. No strings attached, just give that to them. I don't know what that may mean for you, but maybe that's what that means, is sacrificing to give something to someone else. There's all kinds of things that that we could work on uh, for us to humbly serve others, but the pathway for us to become like Christ and have his attitude comes through humility, learning to be humble and serving others the way that Christ has served us. So big assignment for this week, and I'm super excited to get back together next week and find out how this went. So at the beginning of our service next week, I will ask for some participation, and I will ask for those who engage this to share how it went for you. So I hope that we will all engage this together. Now, In preparation for next week as well, I encourage you to continue to read Philippians chapter two. We'll continue on in uh, that chapter next week. And if you're new to us, uh, you just have two chapters to read to kind of catch up to, to where we are. And I encourage you all week long, just read Philippians chapter two. And uh, that'll help prepare your mind and heart for what we're gonna do next week. Now I'm gonna ask you to stand with me and then uh, we are going to sing a song. Our worship team's gonna guide us in a closing song about learning to become more like Jesus. So as we're singing this song, be thinking, God, who do you want me to humbly serve this week and how do you want me to serve them? So let's stand together. So Lord, again, uh, we are looking, like I said last week, and. Uh, said this morning that we're looking at one of the most difficult passages of, of scripture for us to apply. And that's Philippians 2.5, where we need to take on Christ's attitude, learn to develop your attitude, Christ. And then when we s- see what you did with that, Lord, you modeled for us what to do with that attitude, to sacrifice, to serve other people, who might come into a relationship with you that'll last forever. 
So Lord, this is a thing that we struggle with. Uh, We struggle with bowing our knee to you as Lord. We struggle with bowing our knee to your agenda and your will for our lives. Lord, the only way for us to develop Christ's attitude is through humility, through sacrifice, and through surrender. And Jesus, we are just in awe of you today. What you did with your power, that you emptied yourself into human form. You didn't set aside your deity. You didn't set aside your power. You emptied all of who you are into human form for us. So Lord, may we tap into those resources that are available to us every day to serve others around us. In Jesus' name.